Hello and welcome to 20 Tim Minutes, a podcast that focuses on mental health in a serious but yet humorous way. Listen as I interview a wide variety of guests where we show our support as well as sharing our own personal struggles and stories with mental health. I am your host, Tim McCarthy, and now it's time to talk about it. Hey, what's going on, everybody? You're tuning into another episode of 20 Tim Minutes. I am your host, Tim McCarthy. Today, we have on a speaker, mental health advocate, and host of the podcast from Survivor to Thriver, Eric DeRosa. Eric, how are you? Good morning, Tim. Super excited to be on the show, uh, The Hat, South Shore. And I and I feel like by the end of this show, my Massachusetts accent is going to start coming back into full force. Super, really excited. And uh, I know you and I have been talking about doing this for a while. So yeah, here glad we to are. have you on. Glad to have Thanks. you on, my friend. Um, before we start, what's with the Yoda nickname? Oh, so the Yoda nickname, that that's way back. So we're talking probably 25 years ago, New York City. Uh, I was an investment banker at the time. And, uh, you know, I was a kid. I was in my uh, I was in my mid 20s. My wife and I were having dinner at a friend's house. And my friend's wife looked over at me and she said, you know, every time we ask you a question, you always seem to know the answer. You're like Yoda. And so they called me Yoda. And my wife, when we would be out, if it was noisy, I like I've I've got the most boring name on the planet, Eric, right? Like not a name that you you'd respond to, you know, with a hundred people around. And so when we moved out here to Colorado and I started teaching skiing, I thought, hmm, as a bit of a gimmick, would people rather ski with Eric or they want to ski with Yoda? Right. So I threw Yoda on my name tag. And here we are 12 years later. I still have there are ski instructors here who don't know my real name. I have clients that only refer to me as Yoda. But I think the inside, the best is I joke about that whole thing is I could give two shits about Star Wars. And so the immediate question is, people always ask me, well, are you a big Star Wars fan? And I'm like, no, I saw the three originals when I was a kid and that, and that's it. That's all you really need to see. Uh, if you keep with that, then you don't have to be disappointed with the other movies. <laughs> Uh, I you know I saw that on your email. I was like, I got to ask him about that right away. Yeah. But with the yeah. name Eric, you don't have the you, you don't have the C. You have the K. I have the K. So, and, and which made my life even worse growing up. So everybody spelled my name with a C. And for some reason, it's probably you know where I grew up in Somerset. It, there's a bit of a French Canadian population as well as Portuguese, and so everybody would spell my name like D E, my last name, or Deroges, and I was like. Yeah, no. And so my whole name got butchered for my whole life. So I just decided, you know what, if I go with Yoda, you can't really fuck that one up. Yeah, it's true that I had similar things with McCarthy. They would say McCarty, like it was Walter McCarty from the uh, Boston <laughs> yeah. Celtics. But yeah. I, I kind of rolled with it because I loved Walter. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I usually start with this, but the Yoda thing I had to get out of the way. No, I what love is, it. <laughs> what does mental health mean to you? I can sum that up in one word, everything. Mm. Uh, you know, for me, you know, you and I, we've, we've talked about our stories together and we've talked about them on our shows, but, but for me, you know, mental health was something that I really didn't have any idea about for like three decades. Uh, but all I know is I struggled in silence for the first 33 years of my life. We'll talk about, you know, anxiety and OCD and PTSD. Uh, and I, I don't want anyone else out there to have to go through what I went through. And so the more that we can speak about it, the more that I can spread that message that you're not alone. I like to say on my show, it's perfectly okay to not always be okay. Uh, you know, mental health to me, I put that right alongside physical health. The two are to really one in the same. Uh, so I'll come back to what I said earlier. It's, it's, it's everything. It really is. Suffering alone is very tough. So to help other people, even strangers, is such a great feeling. Yes. Yeah. And that's, you know, it's why we started the show. It's why, you know, I, I do my advocacy work. It's why I speak. It's, it's, it's what I do each and every day on the snow, whether it's with friends or with, with clients. Uh, it's all about, you know, doing things together and, and showing other people you're not alone in this, you know, for, for so long. And, and I know for you too, Tim, like, you know, I was a kid. I, I was like, why am I not like everybody else? Uh, I thought I was broken. I thought I was unfixable. And and all I wanted to do is make sure I never shared that deep, dark secret with anybody, um, you know, because there's the shame and the judgment and, and, and all of those things. And it couldn't have been any further from the truth. 
Exactly. And you kind of alluded to it a minute ago with like staying busy, like you, you ski. So like staying active, staying active with friends is like such beneficial for your mental health. Yeah, it's huge. We talked about it before we came on. Yeah, I'm a big fan of the winter. I love the beach, but I'm a huge fan of, and and I'll caveat this by saying I'm a big fan of Colorado winter, not New England winter. They're two very different, different things. Uh, But yeah, the dopamine rush that I get going out, you know, I'll probably go out today after, after we record. It's, you know, it's five degrees. Like I said, the sun is shining, bluebird sky. We, we've gotten about 14 inches of snow in the past 24 hours. Um, and I'll just go out for a couple hours and have a have a fun time on the hill. It'll clear my head. I'll probably run into some friends and um, and it's part of that community. So we can be building community in the mental health space. We can be building community and skiing and and I find that you know the two really overflow and and really start to become one and the same. I'm glad you like skiing. That is not for me. so i'm I'm glad that that helps you out, sir. <laughs> You, you what is it? I want to know what is it for you? Oh, the coldness, boy. The coldness. I just can't do it, even with like all the layers. Then you start like having those like you're freezing, but you're sweating. I don't like that. I don't like wet feet. Like when you step in, like like I would like put on a ski boot, but I would step in something where my foot's wet, and I would just be miserable all day. Yeah, we'll see here. The difference is where. So my house is at eighty three hundred feet. The top of the mountains at twelve thousand five hundred. So with that elevation and being in the west with with really really low humidity, the snow has such a low water content to it. It's you know you can wake up in the morning, you can blow it off your car. It's like baby powder. Uh, so we don't have that east coast humidity moisture that I grew up with at all. You don't have sludge. We don't have sludge and we don't step <laughs> off the curb here. Uh, and it, I can remember both Boston days and New York days stepping off thinking, oh, that looks frozen. And suddenly like you're ankle deep in yeah. that, that dirty sludge. Is the air definitely different out there in Colorado? Oh, it's so much different. It's, it's drier. It, it smells fresher. It's, uh, you know, and I think that's part of it is whether it's the winter or the summer being outside here, when you take away the humidity, um, you know, in the, in the summertime, it's not uncommon for our humidity levels to be like five or 6%. So it's super, super dry. It just feels different. I'm glad that you're out there. You seem like genuinely happy. I can like sense it off you that you're having a good time out there. So that's great to hear. I am. I love it. You know, I'll, uh, I'll never forget my East Coast roots. I still have family back east. Uh, I'm as as you know, I'm a diehard uh, Boston sports fan. Uh, spent another 18 years in New York and and put up with their their bullshit teams. But yeah, um, but my ties, you know, I'll I'll always have a special place in my heart for uh, for growing up in New England. You kind of talked about it uh, a little bit ago, but what's your relationship with mental health? It's kind of like a loaded question, but w- what is your relationship with it? Yeah, I mean, I have you know my own. Uh, let's call it now. I'm 51, so uh, almost five decade long. Uh, my own lived experience. Uh, I've experienced it with other family members, my friends, family. Uh, so it's been something that's been very close to me from the time I've grown up until now. Uh, my relationship also, you know, in, in the past few years has superseded just, you know, living with my own mental health issues, but it's been, as we said, speaking up on behalf of others, help being there to help others, starting a podcast where we're working as you are to shatter the stigma around having these conversations. Uh, and really for me, it's about making it front and center in you know in today's world and in society and showing people that it's not taboo to talk about this topic uh you know for so long you know, i grew up in the 70s and 80s it's something you never talked about you didn't talk about people whispered about cancer then when i was in college you'd hear p- people whisper about the the aids epidemic and i feel in many ways it's the same thing when it comes to mental health um COVID, I think, has accelerated a little bit. People are starting to talk about it more, yep. but people still talk in, in very hushed tones around, you know, I'm going to see my therapist and they kind of sneak out of the office or um, it, it, it's just, it's something that needs to become mainstream. It's kind of crazy that if we never did our podcast, we wouldn't be doing this right now. No, not at all. Not at all. And you, and the, you know, and the crazy thing is when I think about like, 
your podcast, my podcast, other podcasts, they're amazing platforms. Uh, they're like storytelling platforms, right? For people to be able to share with other people. Uh, they're also educational platforms in many ways, because I feel like you have people on you know, our shows and they talk about pieces and parts of, you know, their mental health journey. And so it helps educate those who, who are very lucky. I'm going to use that word to not have any mental health issues um, so that they can gain a little bit of sympathy. And it, it gives comfort to those who do have those. So they know, uh, so that they know that they're not alone. But for me, you know, the biggest piece of, of all of this is getting to meet all these amazing people like you and I never would have connected, right? We grew up in the same state. Um, we never would have connected, uh, except for this podcast. And now we have this bond over, right? Like what your lived experience and my lived experience has been. Yeah. And to go back a little bit about not talking about mental health back in the day, it's kind of like when you saw a homeless person and they were acting quote unquote crazy, it's like, they could have just been going through a mental crisis, but you didn't know. Like, like I grew up in like, I was born in the eighties, grew up in the nineties. You wouldn't point and laugh, but you'd be like, Oh, look at this guy. Like, look how crazy he is. But that was, I feel like that was a big issue as well. Huge. It was a huge issue. And we've had, we've had a lot of homeless people uh, or formerly homeless people uh, on our show. And, and we had, uh, one really amazing guest on, and he was talking about how one day he walked by an office window and he had been homeless in Oregon for the longest time, walked by an office window and saw his reflection in the mirror and freaked out, you know, full blown like episode. He was just so embarrassed and angry about what he had become and who he had become. He said, but at the same time, there was a conference table on the other side. And so all these people at the conference table were looking out at him and that, and, and to speak to your point, right, here's this big thick glass window. So for him, he sees it as a mirror and he's angry at himself. The people on the other side can't hear him and just think, well, there's some quote unquote crazy person on the other side of the window, right. Who, who's scary and we can't go outside. And, um, I just thought that was like a super telling moment and it gets exactly to the heart of what you were just saying. Yeah. That's, I'm going to have to listen to that one. Um, Wayne Shipman. All right. Perfect. Yeah. Episode 40, I believe. Oh, you're better than me when you listen to numbers. <laughs> I have no idea what any of mine are. They're like, I'm like, go back and listen to this one. They're like, what episode is that? I go, I don't know. Well, it's one of the, uh, and, and we'll talk about it, but it's, you know, it's one of the blessings and curses of OCD, right? Like come with me, part of it comes with a, a photographic memory. So I can like sit here and go, oh, I'll, I can look through my entire catalog in my head and not and see the name and the number and lucky me. <laughs> Perfect segue. Cause that was going to be my next uh, question because you deal with OCD. What does it stand for and how can you explain it to somebody out there? Sure. So OCD is obsessive compulsive disorder. Uh, it comes in many manif- different types of manifestations. Uh, what most people, when they think of OCD, uh, and and I will I will caveat this by saying, uh, yeah, there are some people that fall into this category, but not most. Uh, they think of just excessive neatness, right? They they use it as a um, as a word to substitute and be like, Oh my God, you're so OCD. Yeah. Uh, and, and they'll look around somebody's room and everything will be neat and, and orderly. Uh, but, but trust me, I was one of those people and it's not because I wanted to be neat and orderly. It was because I needed to, to have control for me. OCD really manifested in, in a couple of different ways. So there's the, um, there's the obsessions and the obsessional, you know, whether it's thoughts or feelings, uh, and then there's the compulsive side where the compulsions and the, and we call them the rituals. And so for me, OCD manifested as intrusive thoughts and intrusive thoughts are typically thoughts, which are, you know, they come at a time, you know, they're, they're scary. They're terrifying. Uh, they're usually somewhat associated with harm. So harm to others, harm to oneself, especially harm to loved ones. Uh, another really popular one that I experienced was this you know unfounded fear of dying of uh, of disease, uh, and and for me, being high school age and college age in the nineties, knowing full well that you know you can't 
couldn't contract AIDS from shaking somebody's hand or, um, you know, I, I had this long running fear that I was going to die from AIDS completely and totally like not based in reality. Um, so that's, that's sort of the obsessional side. And what happens is that loop, once it starts, uh, those of us who don't have any experience working with therapists, uh, on OCD, we think the best way to do it is just try to push that thought away. But, you know, unfortunately, the more you try to push that thought away, the more power that thought gets, and it completely and totally takes over your day. Uh, on the com- on the compulsion side, what what often happens uh, is we do these rituals, and the rituals are there to give us what we think is control. I like to talk about it, it's like control over these boogeymen, um, and and it couldn't be any further from the truth, right? Like when you think about if I were to walk out of my my office right now, one of the things I would have done in the past is I would have turned my light switch on and off three times. Everything I did was in threes. For me, it was a fear that if I didn't do it, then I was actually either going to follow through with one of the obsessive thoughts or something bad was going to happen to me or a loved one. So my entire day was consumed with the obsessional thoughts then it would go into the anxiety around, is this going to continue to happen? Is it ever going to stop? Why is this happening to me? And then there's the the rituals, which took up, uh, you know, when I think back now, how much time these rituals took up in my day, uh, it, it blows my mind. And I've, I've kind of walked through it with my therapist. And I said, how did I even get anything done in my life when all I was doing was checking locks, checking burners on the stove, checking light switches, you know, wa- you know, obsessively washing my hands. Um, you know, I have a funny story that I tell. So I went to Brandeis. I think you and I talked about it and a couple of my roommates there, we were all on the track team. And again, my room was excessively neat. And to the outside world, people thought it was neat because I was a neat freak. And that wasn't the case, right? Everything had to have its order because that was how I was able to gain some some form of control over this, this, um, this disease. And one day I came home from class and everything in my room was moved, but like micro movements, something that only I would recognize. Uh, and I just remember my response being, you son of a bitch. Uh, and to them, it was funny at the time. To me, I just remember how angry I was and I had to spend the rest of that day getting everything back in order. Mm-hmm. But now when I look back on that experience, I realize they had no idea what OCD was. They were just doing it as some kind of harm, harmless prank, thinking it was funny. Um, and and because I never spoke up at that time about what I was experiencing, they had no idea. Right. Uh, now they do. We've, we, you know, they, they follow my show and we've had conversations about it. Uh, and it's, you know, we're all older now and uh, you're able to understand the reality of it all. But it's, uh, when you're living it, it's, it's terrifying. What's the medication like for OCD? What does it curb? So uh, for me, it's I take Prozac, which has you know there the main label use for that is is an antidepressant or an SSRI, uh, but you know I take I, I take a pretty low dose. I take thirty milligrams uh, in the morning, and what that does is it just calms the thoughts in my head. Uh, I remember you know my wife talked about it. She so she was on Prozac for a short time and. Uh, in the uh, the late 90s. And I remember she talked about the very first time that she took Prozac. Uh, she was walking home from her, her office in Midtown back to our apartment. And she said, suddenly her head was quiet. And that's the only way I can describe it as well is, is as I started taking Prozac, um, you know, I don't have any depressive tendencies, but for me, it, it was able to quiet those thoughts in my head. I could sit on a couch and watch TV and focus on the TV show. Yeah. I could be outside and I could actually like listen to a conversation without having a secondary conversation going on in my head. Let's go to 2006. We talked about this previously and hate to bring up just bad memories, but what was no. 2006? <laughs> what was 2006 like for you? Yeah. And and you know each and every time I talk about it like and that's and that's I think what's so important about discussing, you know, experiences in our lives is, is each time I talk about it, I feel like I heal a little bit more. Uh, and, and if I can help one person, 
by them hearing that story, well, then you know, job done. And in 2006, I was living in New York. It was Labor Day weekend, uh, and uh, I I had been seeing my therapist two years prior. Decided I was my best personal doctor, so I took myself off my medication. I stopped seeing my therapist, which I strongly recommend to all your audience members out there. Do not do either one of those. They are the professionals. But I figured, hey, one semester of pre med in college, and you know, I was ready to, I was ready to self diagnose, you know, everything. Uh, and I started to spiral. I was sitting in my office. It, it was, you know, afternoon on a Friday of a three day weekend. And 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 as you're probably aware too, when these things strike, it's when you're feeling your best. I didn't see it coming, and all of a sudden, this wave of panic sort of came over me. Uh, you know, I was hot, cold. Uh, I started to have those physical, right, manifestations of anxiety. The obsessive thoughts started to take over and I could feel it was almost like the world was starting to close in, right? It was like somebody was starting to put blinders on me and my vision started to narrow. Um, it felt like there was a vice around, you know, my, my head, my headache. And this is all happening within like 10 or 15 minutes. And I just remember saying, I, if I don't get out of my office right now and get down the street to my wife's office so we can get home, I don't know if I'm going to be able to get up out of this chair. So somehow I managed to get to her office, which was about three or four blocks away and called my therapist and kind of just erupted in tears. And he was asking me what was going on. And I said, you know, I really have no idea, but you know, I can't believe I'm I'm going through this again. I'm experiencing this again. And and he said, Well, you know, it's the weekend. I'm gonna be away. Do you think you can get through the weekend? And, you know, back then, you know, always being the, you know, the macho, I was like, Oh yeah, yeah I'll get through the weekend, no problem. Mm-hmm. Uh and he said, when I'm back, well, you know, I want to see you on Tuesday and I, I think I want to add some additional medication to help with the anxiety and the panic attacks. And I, I said, great. So after speaking to him and, and kind of having that, you know, you know, that crying session, I felt really good. It was like this euphoria had come over me. So we get on the subway, we go back home and go out, start walking around. And, and now the real spiral starts, uh, the euphoria is ending. And, and suddenly, you know, I didn't sleep that Friday night. Um, I was, you know, I had lost my appetite and I, I began feeling a bit like a zombie, like my, my brain and my body were starting to disconnect and they call it dissociate. So it's a yep. dissociative episode. Uh, and the way I can describe it to your audience is as though your brain goes, I'm doing an alt control delete and I'm going to reboot. And literally what happens is as your brain is rebooting to protect itself, you lose all sense and perspective of space, time, and and reality. Uh, and so my body was going about and doing its thing during the weekend, but I have absolutely no recollection of what I did that weekend, what I said that weekend, what took place that weekend. All I know is my wife was was really, really concerned. And, and by the end of that weekend, uh, she had called my therapist and said, he's not sleeping. He's not eating. Um, you know, he's in a, he's in a really dark, dark place. And, and he said, you know, I really want to get him on, um, some clonopin, uh, so benzo to, you know, help me, you know, stop the, the anxiety and to get me to be able to sleep. Uh, he, and he said, but the pharmacies are closed and our next door neighbor in New York was a psychiatrist. And so my wife, being a way smarter person than I am, called her and said, hey, th- this is happening again with Eric. And she said, there's clonopin in my kitchen. You guys know where the key is. Go in and I'll tell you. The We walked in. I took the clonopin and within 10 minutes, I I was like chatty Kathy. I couldn't, mm-hmm. I couldn't quiet down. And I remember all I wanted was to go to Boston Market. Uh, and you know, I, it was, it was as though I hadn't seen food in ages. Great uh, cornbread, great cornbread, some of the best Mac and cheese. Yeah. Uh, and you know, it was, I, I remember sitting down to like what I, what I felt like was a Thanksgiving day feast. 
And then I fell asleep and I, I slept like the dead. I had fallen asleep on the couch. My wife couldn't wake me up. Um, and, and really that was, that was the real beginning of my healing journey. Uh, and from that day on, um, I have never taken myself off my medications. I'm it, I managed, uh, I have a psychiatrist here in Colorado who does my med management for me. And I also have a, a traditional, you know, psychoanalyst, psychotherapist where we do, you know, talk therapy and CBT, but, you know, and I know you and I were going to talk about this, you know, I am a huge proponent. If medication works, take it as my psychiatrist likes to say, right medication, right dosage for the right person. Um, there's, and, and there's no stigma around it. People who have type one diabetes, right. Need to have their, their con- continuous glucose monitor. And, you know, they don't just decide one day, well, you know, I kind of feel a little bit ashamed that I have it. I'm going to take it off. Right. They can die. Um, and I feel like it's the same with, with medication for mental health. Thank you so much for sharing that with me. Oh, thank Thank you for allowing me to share it. It's, uh, you know, each time I tell it, it gets a little bit easier and yeah. I feel like there, I feel like now I, I almost look at it from, from 30,000 feet. It's as though I'm watching a movie, but I'm not in that movie. If that makes sense. Oh, hundred percent. I know exactly what that is. Uh, now you're out creating a toolkit toolkit for mental health. Can you elaborate on that a little bit? Sure. Uh, something I really didn't have any idea about until, you know, let's, let's call it the last 18 months. And as I, as I really started to look at and go, go really deep into, you know, my childhood, my childhood, emotional trauma, I was diagnosed in December of 2021 with PTSD. And I remember, you know, most people would think, oh, you got diagnosed with PTSD. That must've been a horrible thing. And I remember sitting on my therapist's couch and like my head shot up and I looked at her and I was like, what did you say? And she said, I never told you that, you know, you have PTSD. And I said, no, but all I remember is hearing those four letters, like changed my life because I recognized that with prior therapists in New York and, um, and here in Colorado, I had been treating symptoms. I've been treating the symptoms of anxiety. I've been treating the symptoms of OCD, but now I had a thing. Like I had this thing that I could actually treat. And she said, we can, you know, there's lots of tools that we can do for this. We can treat, we treat it in a totally different way. We use trauma-informed care. We're going to go back and we're going to do timelines and and we're going to specifically look at incidents in your life that were created at a really young age that have led to um, what you're experiencing now. And so for me, you know, we call it a toolkit. Um, I'm going to use a, a what what I like to talk about now, which is a, I think a cooler word. Um, it's an equal. It's my equilateral triangle of healing. So now my real finance geek brain comes out, and I thought, all right, there's there's three things um, that have really worked for me, and each one of those things is equally important. And I was like, oh, it's kind of like an equilateral triangle. So my toolkit or my equilateral triangle in one corner is uh, what I call like Western medicine. It's talk therapy, cognitive behavioral therapy, uh, EMDR, you know, all of the the different treatment modalities. Um, It's medication. And and so I have that in, in one corner and I can pull on different threads of that, you know, more or less as needed. Second corner is what I call the Eastern medicine corner. And it's one that I really didn't start exploring until, you know, December, November, December of 2021. And for me, that's mindfulness and meditation. And the big one is Reiki. And then I started seeing an energy healer. And for those of you in in the audience who are listening and, and who have ever tripped on mushrooms or any kind of psychedelic, that's exactly what like a Reiki experience is. You're, you're, you're in there, you're on a table. It's kind of like a massage for the energy within your body. You start seeing colors, you start seeing visions and memories of, of things that, uh, you know, I didn't even think about for decades. Uh, and, and then when you come out of it, you, you kind of talk through that experience and, um, it really would put me in this like blissful state. And so that, that's another corner. Then the third corner, which is is equally important, and I lean on that 
a lot, especially certain times of year, uh, is my nature corner, my nature healing corner. And that's, you know, skiing and mountain biking. Um, I also throw in there, you know, music, guitar, um, even though it's not nature, it's still kind of in that, in that corner. Um, and so now I've got this whole triangle and, and all sides are equal, all angles are equal. Um, and so I can roll it on any side and has a super solid foundation. I can draw on one a little bit more than the other if I need to at times, but they're all there and they're all holding each other together. Where it goes awry is if I decide to completely and totally disregard one of them, because at that point, the the entire triangle collapses and crumbles. Yeah. Um, and so it's a really good reminder for me, that visual, uh, that I need to check in with myself. I call it meeting yourself where you're at each and every day to see, okay, what do I need today? Which one do I need a little bit more of, maybe a little bit less of? Uh, you know, there's some journaling that that's in there on the Eastern side as well. And, uh, Oh, maybe I'll take like 10 minutes to to go listen to a little Jack Johnson and sit on the couch really quietly. And, um, so yeah, you know, a lot of people think about it too, is their toolkit. Uh, it's that nice visual of, you have a whole bunch of tools in there. Yeah. Um, and it's just like, if you were going to go like reframe your house, please don't ask me to reframe anybody's house. Not anything I can do. But maybe you need the hammer at times, you need the screwdriver at times, you need the drill at times, and then you just kind of reach in there and pull it out, and that's what you need. Um, so that's how I, I really think about that. Speaking of tripping, I did one of those sleep deprivation tanks, and oh. I like I like saw stuff. It was very intense. <laughs> I like I couldn't relax. You're supposed to relax in it, but I could like see my thoughts. It was so weird. Yeah. Are you claustrophobic? No, I wouldn't say. Look, look at my closet. This thing's like a Harry Potter closet. I think it could be good in this thing. <laughs> oh man, uh, support system is really great to have. Who are some people yep. that have positively impacted your life? Uh, so I call so my support system. I call it my healing team. And uh, the one cool thing about a healing team, if you've never been an athlete before, if you've never been like on the debate team, or you've never been on any of these teams in high school or college. This is your one chance to be on a team and not only be on a team, but to be the captain of your team, right? So I call myself the captain of my healing team and I've created it. It's, you know, the big influences, my wife, uh, I have, you know, three or four extremely close friends. Um, my, my wife's family, uh, given that I'm, you know, estranged from my own parental unit, uh, you know, my brother is there, uh, so it's my therapist, my my energy healer. So it's it's kind of this team that I've built up who I know in in a crisis I can reach out to them. They have my best interests in mind, they're not going to judge me. Uh I can be super super vulnerable and they're and they're there and they're going to listen. And they are often the ones who recognize that something's happening well before I do. Uh, and I don't know if it's the same case, uh, with you, Tim, but often I may go two, three days, um, and I'm in this place and I don't even recognize I'm in it. And my wife will be, you know, asking me, how are you? How are you? And, you know, it's, she's asking me, you know, throughout the day. And, and there's a point where I'm like, why do you keep asking me? Like, I'm fine. I'm fine. And then I recognize a few days later, like, oh, even my response is agitated. Like I'm agitated. Like, yep. I, like there's, there's something going on. Uh, and, and for your audience, I would say, you know, when, you know, for your loved ones or friends, uh, who, you know, experience, you know, different, different issues with their mental health. Um, when you check in on them, those are, those are little tells like poker teller, poker players have tells we have tells as well. Yep. Uh, and, and we're not always really good at, at hiding them. Um, so if you're starting to see changes in, in people's behavior, they're withdrawing, they're, they're irritable, they're agitated, they're, um, they're not eating, um, and you're checking in with them and, and they're just kind of giving you these close and close ended, you know, answers. I'm fine. I'm good. Right. That's when, you know, something's, something's going awry. Let's talk about the podcast from survivor to thriver. What can people expect with that? So they can expect, uh, let's call it 20 Tim minutes with, with two guys. Uh, and so, so, uh, it's a couple of, uh, it's a couple of massholes. It's me and my, my co-host Mark. And so he grew up in fall river. I grew up in Somerset 
Uh, we followed very similar life paths. Uh, I am on the uh, anxiety, OCD, PTSD side of the spectrum. Mark is on the depression, uh, self-harm side of the spectrum. So we have that completely and totally covered. We both ended up going to school. He went to BU. I went to Brandeis, didn't know each other, lived in New York. We both met our wives in college. Both our wives are named Amy, didn't know each other then. Uh, He he lived in LA for a short period of time and then moved to New York. Um, So we were all in New York at the same time, different sides of the city. We were on the west side. He was on the east side. And then Amy and I moved here to Colorado in the fall of 2011. And he was one of the first people who I met. Um, and he heard my, he could hear my accent and he knew, he just knew right away. Uh, and so we, we bonded really quickly. He teaches skiing as well. Uh, our podcast at the beginning, he talks about, he tosses it to me and says from across the Creek. Uh, and so literally we live across the street from each other, but there's a Creek that runs through it. Wow. It's meant to be. It's meant to be. And so we have a, you know, our show, just like yours, it's, it's all about, shattering the stigma around having mental health conversations. Uh, and it started, it, it was two years old as of last week. Uh, and we have guests on, uh, I think you and I have had some of the same guests on yep, in yep. fact. Uh, and it's all about, you know, for us sh- allowing people a platform to share their stories of going from survivor, because at some point in our lives, we are all surviving. Uh, and surviving looks different for, for each and every person, but there comes a point where we say, I need to change. And whether it's just a mental health issue, or if it's uh, a mental health issue where there's addiction as a coping mechanism, whether there's homelessness because of that, that right. There's, there's that intersection of mental health and all of these other issues and stigmas that exist in society. And so we're there to allow people to talk about not only how they were surviving, but most importantly, what they did, what that that fork in the road became when they decided enough is enough. I'm going to take ownership. I want I want to make a change. Uh, and they talk through what that moment was, and more importantly, what they did to change and how they did it. And so it's really become a show of showing people that. A, you're not alone. B, there's a community out there. C, you have a voice um, and a powerful voice and that there's hope and there's help and that there's a way through. And and just like with you, right? It's it's building this community one person at a time and showing all of these people, hey, you can get through it too. Um, yep. and, and when we started it, my thought was, um, you know, if we can change the the trajectory of one person's personal journey, um, if we can get one person to say, you know what, I'm going to stay one extra day, like check the box and job done. Destigmatizing without desensitizing. That's what uh, you guys are about. What's wrong with being desensitized? I can't even say that word correctly. Desensi- desensitized. Yeah. So um, it's something that I kind of work through with my wife. You know, she's a communications uh, person and a writer. And as, as we were th- thinking about like, how do we want to deliver this message, right? So we want to destigmatize it, right? We want to make it, as, as we say in our, in our mission, kitchen table conversation, or, you know, sitting in the, sitting under the stairs in your Harry Potter closet, right? Yep. And having, having this conversation, like I want to be able to sit on a chairlift and, and it's happened. I've had people turn to me and say, oh, you know, I, I listened to the show. I bet you didn't know I was bipolar, right? And I was like, this is what I want to happen. But at the same time, we don't want to desensitize it so much that it's um, it, it, it almost trivializes it, right? We, we still want to have that compassion and that empathy where you recognize that. And, and even the word mental illness, like I use that word and I use it intentionally because there's such a stigma around it. Um, illness just means, right, a sickness or a disease, right? It, it's not this like horrible word. So I, d- I don't want people to feel like, you know, we're downplaying, you know, mental illnesses or we're downplaying addiction because they are real and they're serious issues. But at the same time, like with your show and our show, uh, we also want to add like a little bit of lightheartedness and we want to show people that 
it's not always deep and dark and scary, mm-hmm. uh, but that you can look back on it with a little bit of humor and you can infuse some humor in there uh, because that also helps, right? To to show people that, yeah, I was in a dark place, but now I can look back on it and I can, you know, in some ways I think about my OCD, I can almost laugh a little bit about some of the, some of the stuff I was doing. So that's kind of where we came up with the whole destigmatizing without desensitizing. So we're a couple of guys talking about mental health. What is, why is men's mental health so important? And what are your thoughts on the whole man up thing? Yeah. So the whole man up thing can go fuck itself. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, you know, growing up, you know, I'm, you know, what a decade, uh, a decade older than you. Right. So it was all about, uh, you know, you don't talk about these things. What happens in this house stays in this house. And I don't know if that's, that's even more of like a Massachusetts thing, right? Like what right. happens in this house stays in this house. Like don't open your mouth. Uh, and you know, don't be vulnerable. Don't cry. Right. Just man up. Like, uh, and, and it couldn't, it couldn't be further from the truth. And it's the, the crazy thing is I look at the statistics for our show and I I'd love to know if it, yours are similar, but our split is like 80, 20 female listeners versus male listeners. Uh, and when it first, when I first started looking at those and Mark looked at those and he goes, he goes, this sucks. We really want to get more men, right? Listening and more men involved. And, and I was like, yeah, like, how do we do this? And then I had this interesting conversation with a friend who's a therapist, who's, who's way smarter than I am. And she said, but think about this for a second, who got you into therapy? And I said, my wife. And right away I knew I was going down this like rabbit hole of like, here we go. You're, and she said, it's exactly it. Just because men may not be listening to the show, it's the women in their lives who are listening to the show because they recognize either within themselves there's an issue, but also maybe there's an issue with their husband or their, you know, their spouse or their partner. Uh, and they're the ones who encourage them to go to therapy. And then later on down the road, once they've been into therapy or they've had these conversations with other people, they feel more comfortable, right? Like we are just a couple of guys sitting around talking about it as, yep. as you know, as though we're, we're sitting at uh, dunks and, you know, I'm having a maple frosted. I don't know what you're having, but um, chocolate and, frosted. And I keep chocolate it frosted. Chocolate there you go. Frosted. Uh, and, and, you know, and we're talking about, uh, you know, Brady's retirement and, uh, but that whole idea, you know, men, men, if you look back in history and we've had a couple guests on our show, talk about this, you know, it's ingrained in men to, you know, you, we were hunters and gatherers, we're problem solvers. And, and I think that that's what gets to the root of this is men see themselves as wanting to solve their own problems. And unfortunately, uh, you know, a lot of mental health issues, you can't solve on your own. Uh, and so it's also why we see a higher incidence rate of suicide within, within men and, and especially men within like that, you know, middle-aged category is because rather than reaching out for help, they figure I'm going to solve my own problem. And when they can't solve that problem, rather than admitting it's a problem I can't solve, they unfortunately will take their own lives because they see that, they see that as a way out, which, which, you know, unfortunately has so many ramifications on, on everyone around them. Uh, but it's a way to not have to admit. And it's another word men use all the time, which I hate is failure. Right. So rather than say like, I couldn't solve this problem, I'm just going to take my own life. Um, and, and that's, it's a, it's a problem, you know, within our, not with, with just our society here in the U S but especially globally. The man up thing, I'm I'm with you on that, but sometimes it's like being like like you go bungee jumping or something. You're like too scared to go. You're like, no, what, fuck yeah. the man up and just go. Like that's the yeah. way I, I see it. I yeah, and and to me, yeah, I see it as kind of two different. It's it's if I'm standing, uh, yeah, I'm going to use my ski analogy again. Yeah. Uh, but if I'm standing up in some shoot, you know, at twelve thousand feet, and in, and the shoot's no wider than this house, and it's a fifty degree angle, and I look down and I go, okay. I got to turn there, there, and there. 
if I hit that wall, I die. If I hit that wall, I die. And if uh, if there's a hidden rock under here or something, I'm going to tumble for a couple hundred yards, right? Yep. And I take that deep breath. And yeah, it's kind of like the man up. It's, you know, just like turn your brain off and go and do it. Yep. Uh, so yeah, there's that aspect of it. But when it comes to people talking about their mental health and being like, yeah, you, especially when you hear people say, you'll be fine. As mm. soon as I hear somebody say, you'll be fine, my immediate response is, <laughs> You don't fucking get it. <laughs> no. Yeah. It's like telling a buddy to go talk to a girl and he won't talk to him. And it's like, go man up. Yes, Just exactly. <laughs> exactly. Just go do it. Take, yep. It's kind of like, you know, take the risk, right? Is yep. is how that, that phrase can be used. Um, what is the most important thing you learned about your mental health this past year? Whew. Uh, that I can't take my eye off the ball. Uh it's uh you know we're 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 Sox fans so it's it's like playing shortstop in in Fenway right if you decide yeah. yeah this guy you know he's a pole hitter all the time and he's a lefty and you know you decide yeah I'm gonna kind of take my eye off the ball and suddenly like he hits a liner right at your head um it's the same thing with my mental health and and it's it, it happened again in you know November December of 2021 I kind of took my eye off the ball everything was going well. I was feeling great. Uh, I had the podcast going, I was starting to transition into this, you know, mental health advocacy role. And I was teaching, you know, skiing and, and coming out of COVID and, and then it hit. And I was like, what the fuck? Like, where did this come from? And, um, and so it really, it really taught me that I've got to pay attention to, to me. And that's why I call it meeting yourself where you're at. I have to pay attention to where I'm at when I wake up in the morning each and every day, uh, because by doing that and checking in with myself, it helps me to be able to better spot some of these potential signs and symptoms before other people spot them or before I get too far down the rabbit hole of now I'm sitting on the couch huddled with a blanket and you know I don't feel safe and secure and I'm not going to move. Uh, so I think that was the biggest thing for me is you, know, you got to pay attention. Fantastic. Now, you can't say skiing. What does self-care look like for you? Sure. So self-care involves some other winter sport that we're not going to talk about. <laughs> uh, it's, uh, it involves, you know, so two weeks ago um, in that sport, we're not going to talk about, I had <laughs> guests in town for five weeks. I had skied five weeks straight every day. Yeah. My body was exhausted. Uh, I'm not a young kid anymore. Uh, and just it's mentally taxing, right? Uh, and so what I decided was if football players get a bye week in the NFL season, I was like, I'm going to take a bye week. And that's what I started calling it uh, as a bit of a joke. And I literally took a whole week off. And and what did I do that week? Well, some days I didn't do a damn thing. You know, you know I would have, I do one podcast recording. Uh, some days I would read a book. Uh, I'd listen to some music. I would play some guitar. Um, but but for me, self-care is really like, just do whatever you feel like you need to do that particular day. And if it means doing nothing, that's not being lazy. It's just your body and your mind telling you like, I need a break. I need yeah. a rest. Um, and yeah, like a lot of times playing guitar for me is, is so fun. It's, you know, I can sit there and, and I can make music. Uh, and I can kind of get lost right in, in just the, the sound of the sound of the strings and, um, or just hanging out with some friends and, and talking about whatever, uh, yeah. it, it's just, it's just fun. And, and I think a lot of people think of self-care and they think like, well, you know, I got to take a bubble bath or, yeah. uh, you know, it, it can be whatever you want. It can be on the spectrum of bubble bath massage. I'm a huge massage proponent, um, to, you know, sing around the fire, having a glass of wine, go out for a walk, whatever, whatever it is that gets you feeling, you know, a little bit better than the current state that you're in. Like, just do it. What's up for Eric this year? Wow. So this year, you know, Growing the podcast, uh, hopefully doing a lot more uh, public speaking engagements. And there's some interesting things that I want to do and explore around this whole idea of, you know, ski therapy. 
Um, you know, it's coming to skiing. I came to the sport at 33 years old. Uh, so I wasn't a spring chicken and I fell in love with it. It was a huge part of my healing journey. Um, I promise not to talk about it again, but I will. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, you know, I'm really exploring like, what was it about that sport that, that had these healing powers for me? Uh, and then how can I take that and how can I create that same sort of an environment for other people um, and introduce them to this, not only as a sport, but as a, as a healing modality. And as, as uh, you know, just like there's equine therapy and there's uh, music therapy, there's all these things. Um, you know, I, I feel like there's a place in, uh, in the world for ski therapy and it's, you know, it's been proven uh, that people who do that, that sport that shall remain nameless, mm -hmm. uh, to use a Harry Potter reference in the closet there, um, you know, have a 60% less incidence of being di diagnosed with anxiety and depression. Uh, it's, it's one of the greatest dopamine releases you can have in the wintertime, just being outside in nature. So, uh, uh, you know, starting to explore that and different avenues for that. And, and, uh, you know, just continuing more, more importantly than anything, on my own healing journey and, and seeing where it takes me. And, uh, and, and as I heal and grow and, and learn, uh, hoping to continue to share nuggets of, of that healing and wisdom with, with other people along the way, because if we can, if we can reach more and more people, and if we can reach those people at a younger age, uh, and get those conversations started, Hopefully, we won't have a lot of people going through things in their lives like we did, Tim. Um, and they'll feel free to speak about it. And you know, someday when when we leave this planet, uh, I want I want people to be speaking about mental health in their everyday conversations and looking back and thinking, "Wow, there were gener there were generations that didn't even talk about this. Like, wh why wouldn't you talk about this? It's 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 just like a daily thing." So. That's that's what the that's what 2023 into 2024 has in store for me. We're going to wrap up in a minute, but I'm so happy for you. I wish you nothing but the best this full year. You are so intelligent, such a great dude, and I'm so glad that you came on this podcast, man. Thank you so much for having me on. It's it's your show is a show I've wanted to be on for a very long time. You know, we, we share so many uh so many you know, similarities and links and, um, and, and how we grew up and where we grew up. And, uh, it's, it's, you know, it's a pleasure for me to have you as, you know, somebody I can call a friend and, yeah. uh, and I will be back, uh, in Boston sometime this summer. I've got to see the niece and nephew. Uh, and so we're going to find some time, uh, to get together and, and shoot the shit and, a uh, and thousand percent. Yeah. yeah. That'd be awesome, sure. man. For sure. So yeah, we're gonna get you on our show. Yeah, whenever you want, man. I'm always around. That'd be great. So obviously, yeah. originally from Mass too. What do you miss most about home besides the family? Stuff cohogs, uh, real dunks. Uh, you know they have yeah. them. They have some pop ups around the country, but it's no. it's definitely it's definitely not the same. I'm originally um, from Quincy, where they have the original Dunkin' Donuts. Oh, there you go. Well, yeah. you know, if we want to go down, I, so I dated, uh, in, uh, my must've been my freshman year in college. Uh, so grew up in my hometown and her dad was a franchisee of some Dunkin' Donuts. And of course, Norton is the, uh, the headquarters for, for dunks, not too far from where I grew up. So yeah, it's Dunkin' Donuts, it's stuffed cohogs. Uh, and it's being able to turn on the news and actually see like Boston sports. Like, yep. you know, I lived for so long in New York and had to deal with New York sports and, and now Colorado sports and, and, uh, you know, people who live here refer to them as the donkeys instead of the Broncos. Cause they're so bad. Yep. Um, but those are probably the three things that, uh, that I miss the most. What, uh, who's on your Boston athletes, Mount Rushmore. <laughs> Noma. I love it. Yeah. Uh, I would say Noma, uh, TB12, of course, yep. like right, right up there. Um, and Bird. I grew up watching Bird, you know, just drop threes you yep. know, from the corner uh, for for years on end. Those, those would be my big three. I love it. The big three. You can have one more. Mount Rushmore. Mount Rushmore. One more. Uh, Ray Bork. I love it. I love it. Yeah. Big Ray, number 77. 
before he came out here to Colorado. Yeah, but everyone from Boston was happy for him. Oh yeah, we were thrilled for him, and he got his, you know, he's got his cup. And uh, but yeah, the one I think the one that stung the most for me was Nomar. Like he was, you know, he was a legend, and you know, yeah, that you know, when I think of Nomar, and I think of uh, Manny and Ortiz, and um, and you know, the the idiots of uh, of two thousand and four, yeah, um, like what an amazing memory, and just a little anecdote. I was living in New York City at the time. Um, and you know, 2003 happened and Aaron, you know, F and Boone hit that home run and, and it wasn't until a year later, I actually saw it fall in the seats. I, I, I got up as he hit it cause I knew where it was going and I yeah. left my friend's apartment. But in 2004, I remember when they beat the Yankees, that felt like the world series to me, but when they swept St. Louis, uh, there was a bar in New York called the Riv or the Riviera, which is a, which is a Boston sports bar. And so we watched game four there. And I remember they won the series. I literally go out onto Seventh Avenue South, and and I kissed the the dirty uh, Manhattan street. And I remember saying, if I never see the Red Sox win another World Series again, I don't care. They did it, um, and there they go again, right? Two thousand and seven, and the rest is is history with with their follow up series. But um, that that is a memory which will be ingrained with me for the rest of my life. Yeah, 2004 was a special season. Um, where can everyone find you on the internets? Sure. So uh, the podcast, as you said, is called From Survivor to Thriver, and new episodes come out every Tuesday morning. Apple, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, you name it, wherever you get your podcasts. We have a Facebook page called From Survivor to Thriver. Uh, it's 10,000 plus strong now, and we really like to think of that as a community page, not only where we post interesting anecdotes from the world of mental health, as well as our, our po- links to our podcast episodes, but we encourage uh, our followers to come in and put up posts and send us messages of things that, that are top of their minds in terms of mental health topics they want to hear on the show, or if they even want to be on the show as guests, you can find me personally on Facebook at Eric, E-R-I-K, I stress the K, yep. DeRosa, D-A-R-O-S-A, or I'm on Instagram uh, with a fun little handle. So you can look me up by my name or my Insta handle is at Ski, S-K-I, Sherpa, S-H-E-R-P-A. And that's an homage to my mother-in-law who, when I first started skiing, uh, decided that I was the one who was going to lead everybody around the mountain. Uh, and so they no longer had to look at a trail map. or uh, And so we've been living here in, uh, in Snowmass uh, for... Almost 12 years. We've been skiing here since 2005. Uh, and my in-laws, uh, who have a, had a house here as well, still don't know their way around the mountain without us. So there's uh, there's the genesis of Ski Sherpa. Words of wisdom for somebody that is going through it right now. What would you say to them? I would say, one, you're not alone. I And I would stress that. Uh, and just remember, there is help, there is hope, and there is a way through. Even in your darkest, darkest time, you may not be able to see it. It may even look like a pinhole, but there is light. And if you just allow yourself that moment of grace to recognize, I I know it feels terrible right now, but tomorrow is another day. And tomorrow you have a chance. If you just give yourself that chance to have a slightly better day, I promise it gets better and the journey does get easier. Great words from a great man. I love it. All Thank right. You. Eric DeRose is coming up to the plate. What theme song is playing? <laughs> uh, wow. This is a good one because... I'm starting to go through like all the <laughs> all the different all the different songs in my head. Um, you know, shipping up to Boston is has got to be one of them. But the one that is going to be playing is "I'm Still Standing" by Elton John. Ooh, that's a good one. I love Elton John too. Yeah, and if you listen to those lyrics, uh, you know that's that's my story in a nutshell. Yeah, it's got the like good beat to it and everything. Yeah, got the great beat and uh, yeah. And here I am. I'm still standing. All right. Last thing. What are three things you're grateful for today? My wife, my health, 
and for some really, really wonderful friends who have been there and have stuck with me through some really difficult times. Eric DeRosa, thank you so much for coming on this show. It's been a blast. Hopefully I see you soon. Yes, Tim, thank you so much for having me on. I can't wait till this thing comes out so we can blast it all over the uh, the interwebs. And yes, I'm looking forward to to seeing each other soon. And uh, maybe we'll start the day with, uh, with a large dunks and you can have your chocolate frosted on my maple frosted and we'll finish it off maybe at a Sox game drinking a Sam Adams. Yeah, I'll hold you to that, my friend. Awesome. That's been another episode of 2010 Minutes. Let's break the stigma by cracking a smile. I will see you guys soon. podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition. If you are feeling suicidal, please dial 911.